Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Paul Pierce is the mother truth. Knocks it down! Celtics win! 50 points for Jason Tatum! Brad, any final words of advice for the new coach? Win! It is possible! It is possible! Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Celtics Strong Podcast. We are here At the end of the 2022 season, the draft has also come and gone, and free agency has begun. It is officially the off-season following the Boston Celtics trip to the NBA Finals, where they came two wins away from winning their 18th championship and bringing Banner 18 to the Garden. So Steve... Let's get right into it. Our last episode was before the finals. And without dwelling too much on the loss, because we always aim to keep it positive and see the best here, we do have to talk about everything that happened. Once the finals got underway, those games played out, and then the draft and the early free agency moves. So, Steve... Without further ado, let's get into it. All right. You know, we always try to keep it positive here on the Celtic Strong podcast. And I have to say, looking back, really a lot to be excited about. A lot of positive, I mean, two wins away from the championship. I know there might be, there were some frustrating moments, certainly, how close we came and getting that close. But I have to say, we started doing this podcast beginning of the season. We looked back to the 08 championship and we had an emergency pod halfway through the season when they weren't doing well. Yes, we did. We started checking in after they turned around. They had an epic turnaround and run here all the way to the finals. And hat is off to... All these players to the coach, Ime, who I thought did a fantastic job. And honestly, 
This is a stepping stone for the two J's. We've obviously talked about the two J's quite a bit on this podcast. Yeah. And I, for me, the main positive coming out of this is just the experience. They went there. They went to the finals. They were in the big dance. And yep. that is going to pay dividends when they get back there, right? Absolutely. And it is the next step. It was the next step. It's been taken. And sometimes you want everything. And truly to look back from that moment in January where they lost to the Knicks and the R.J. Barrett heave of glory for the Knicks fans. And that really was a, a moment that uh, everything shifted, as Jalen Brown said. The energy is about to shift. Everything shifted really for both franchises. And unfortunately, the Knicks <laughs> uh, went kind of the other way and a lot of interesting stuff in flux there. But we are here to celebrate and to talk about the season that just commenced for the Boston Celtics and what followed and where we are now. Because, Steve, not only do I think, you know, we both hold the same same feeling about last season, uh, ultimately, and especially now looking back. But I think we're also both really excited about the future. And it would be hard not to be. So let's just dive right into it. We won't skip ahead. Uh, we left off the Celtics headed into the finals. And, you know, it's it's hard to to dig in too deep because of the outcome, but also we aren't experts, and so we don't need to spend the next hour breaking down each game and what happened and what they could have done or what we think they need to do going forward. Moreover, Steve, I'd like to just look back and think about, as you said, how close they came and how, for me, what I'm left with is that this team really, really turned it around like few other teams ever have an actual historic comeback and then went toe-to-toe with the dynasty of this age right in golden state and they very very easily had they won game four and gone up three one could have certainly very imaginably won. So to get there is amazing. To have that experience, as you said, is amazing. And I do think there's potentially truth in the saying, like, you have to beat the champ to be the champ. Um, and as is, you know, told in many different sports stories, Rocky comes to mind. Sometimes you really have to, like, go up against the champ and lose, to learn the lessons. So I think it is really positive. And to go back to the finals, it was not a positive feeling. You know, I would say sort of once the end of game four took place and that just sinking feeling of, oh no, we've seen this before. And now they may have just squandered their last opportunity because this isn't Milwaukee or Miami. This is Golden State and Steph's on a mission. So I think it's 
it's fair to acknowledge, you know, the disappointment and that they were so close. And ultimately, I feel like they ran out of gas. Uh, they didn't have a healthy Rob Williams, you know, for much if any of the playoffs. Really, really could have used him at 100% in that last series. Moreover, it just really felt like Tatum, even Marcus, a few guys ran out of gas and ran out of that ability to dig deeper one more time. They really put themselves sort of back to the wall and barely pulled out, you know, the Milwaukee series with wins in game six and seven, and then almost give away the Miami series, right? That end of game seven is just horrific as a Celtics fan. So it was in a way kind of the more inevitable and natural ending, yet the whole time you could see their talent and that it was just such a thin margin between winning game four, taking a decisive three to one lead, having three cracks at that final fourth win versus two to two and really losing the upper hand to a team that you can't do that with. So I don't know if there's more stuff, you know, you want to talk about or go over, um, you know, we don't have to wallow too much in it, but you know, we got to acknowledge what happened. Yeah, we won't have to wallow in it, but I would like to just say that just to put it all into perspective around Jason Tatum and this just being an experience that he needed, you know, you said run out of gas. I think that's pretty accurate in in the sense of what happened with the ball handling, what happened with showing up and everything I read after it talked about just and all the people and listening to the other podcasts and experts, right? We're not experts, but the experts said, as far as I could tell, was that they needed just one more piece, one more wing or someone to help with Jalen and and Tatum to take some pressure off to go in and score, you know, go on like a 15 point run, put up like 14 points or whatever it was to give them a break. And I think this experience in a way to watch what Steph Curry did, and you have to give Steph Curry a lot of credit because he was on another level. And it was, if we're going to lose the finals, when we as, as frustrating as it was because that, with that game one win and the way we pulled out game one in Golden State, there was such momentum and it was such a like, wow, we could win this and we were so close. But to lose the finals in this way, in a way for me, it's almost easier when the other person on the other team is cementing themselves as one of the greatest of all time ever. (laughs) And you're just kind of like, okay, it's a little easier to swallow. And I feel like for... Tatum, I believe he'll get to that point where, oh, you need a 50-point game from me tonight? Got it. You know, and I just think he's a step away from that, ultimately. And again, I'm not an expert, so I don't... I'm just saying that as sort of a feeling of what I've observed sure, and seen up until this point. And I just think at this point in his career, needed a little more help, like you're saying, a little more health, a little more help. Yeah. And, but... Yeah, overall, it they were pushing the envelope <laughs> all yeah. the way, right? Pushing the envelope, Milwaukee, definitely pushing the envelope against Miami. 
got in there and then there was a kind of like, well, they're here. Anything could happen. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and that momentum carried them for the beginning of that series. And then, like you said, I think it was a combo perhaps running out of gas and also just Steph Curry, like a legendary basketball player who not for nothing won put that whole team on his back and just won them a championship. So hats yeah. off to him. Congratulations to him. That's awesome. I think Tatum can get there. I think Jalen Brown, I think all these guys, I think this core team, and, and we're going to talk about what they've done in free agency, but I'm excited and would absolutely welcome a matchup, like a rematch of this these finals in the next year or so, because that could be very different and would be amazing. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, and I've heard um, you know a lot of similar opinions and pieces and what have you. And recently saw, I think on Twitter, a uh, Boston sports writer, I believe, was just uh, basically saying to you know the Warriors, like, let's run this back right now. We get Brogdon and Gallo, though, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and basically just asserting that, like, if we have those guys on our bench, don't we like take that? series um and who knows speculation aside it was uh you know a masterful performance by steph um you know clay thompson uh had to really show up in those last three games as well and andrew wiggins became kind of like the um sort of silent superhero for golden state because he really really gave uh tatum fits well uh, putting up, you know, close to 20 a night himself. And I think it was great storylines for a number of those guys individually, Steph, Clay, and Wiggins. It's amazing for uh, a guy like Andrew Wiggins, who is such a, you know, draft bust or considered a bust based on his draft position. So for a guy like that, um, you got to feel good. And for Steph cementing his legacy. But man, like... In the moment, it didn't feel good at all because you know the talent we had. You know, Absolutely. It was super frustrating. It's right there. It's right there. It was, there were, okay, so to stay positive within this notion of like watching and being frustrated. Yeah. F- totally frustrated with the ball handling, the turnovers, the sort of overall how many times the ball just bounced off of their foot or just. It was just weird how that happened. And so the things that I'm frustrated about or was frustrated about watching this, I I hold out a sliver of hope that they are actually fixable and or can be addressed in a way that when they're back in this situation, the next time they get into a zone and they know they don't, they can't do that. And overall, I mean, I thought Jalen Brown had moments in this final series specifically where he was just out of sight, like, and made me be like, oh, we're totally going to win this. And then it was like, without, it just didn't kind of balance with what was going on with Tatum and how he was trying to adjust with the attention he was facing in this situation. And it just, oh, I think there was a bit of overwhelm being in that role, essentially that Steph Curry is in, right? Like, he yeah. just had to go through this, hopefully, and again, I don't know, but hopefully he had to 
this was a learning process for him of what will be thrown at you when you get to this stage and doing this. Yeah. But the notion of overall in the playoffs, Jalen Brown for me was like, wow, like keep it up. You know, again, like we talk about this growth or what these guys can do. And if they enter this situation again in the next year or the year after, they find more consistency. They, they, take care of the ball a little better and they just figure out a way, whether it's through support or getting some of the spotlight taken off of them, hopefully with some of these additions. I, I just, I'm excited for that. And as frustrating as it was, and it was frustrating to watch Indeed. for sure. Yeah. But there's, there's a lot to draw on yeah. for these guys I, performance. And I think, you know, there's a lot to be said for what was still missing, obviously, on the offensive end, especially, and without getting too deeply back into the whole Marcus debate, like the things that both, you know, Tatum and Jalen are, are able to do with the ball, scoring in ISO, um, on the break, moving, you know, quickly, running downhill and shooting the three, both of them, obviously, they're both huge threats from deep. I think what's missing for me is not like the individual performances and abilities. Cause those are so clear. It's they're working together. And especially in the latter part of the, the stages of the playoffs and finals, it just started to feel like you go for a bit. Now I go for a bit. You go, and I just kept thinking, Steve, I just kept wishing and hoping for a Tatum cut, a Brown back cut, a fake, a pass, and Brown with the hard finish. Like, you think about when the team's at the best, when they're sharing the ball, when they're passing, when there's motion in the offense, right? And there's like, it seems like it's that or Tatum and Brown taking turns in isolation. Um, mm. And so I wonder if, you know, these additions, um, other pieces, especially Malcolm Brogdon, who we'll get to in a sec, are going to help aid that. Because it's one thing to have two impressive, maybe the two best young wings in the league on one team. But I have never quite gotten the sense that these guys were meant to play together. And I think we've talked about how, of course, they can play together and have always played well together, and we'd never want to split them up. I'm just saying I don't know if they've hit the top of what they can do. And maybe part of that is that Jalen is so good and that their development is so, you know, just in tandem that there's, even though Tatum is an alpha, he's the guy that defenses are keying on first. It's kind of just a 1A, 1B or almost both alphas. So I think what happens is instead of Michael you know, Scotty or 
early Shaq Kobe when Kobe was young and Shaq was the dominant force, you have more the like later Shaq Kobe where it's like unclear who's the alpha almost. Even though, like I said, I do think it's clear Tatum is sort of the alpha or the like top, top all NBA guy. Talent-wise though, is he that much ahead of Jalen? If at all. And then when you have Jalen actually scoring more points in the finals and maybe even in the Miami series, like it gets really dicey when you look at stats. Um, So that maybe contributes to part of the issue. But I do think there is a next level of personnel and offensive scheming that they will hopefully get to next year. When you think about the end of the year and especially the early playoffs, right? So as Time Lord is hurt and is out or not as much of a factor, we get a ton of Grant Williams. We're getting, you know, introduced more firmly to Derek White. We're getting Peyton Pritchard minutes in the playoffs, right? Pritchard becomes a rotation guy. Grant becomes, you know, the first big off the bench or even starting in two big lineups. And, man, I love both those guys. That's a a step ahead and maybe two places on the depth chart ahead of where those players need to be for their current development and who those players are. And guess what? The Celtics got two guys who slot into the depth chart potentially ahead or right with, you know, those guys and only had to give up Tice who really fell below both of those guys and almost out of the rotation. So I think there's a lot of hope for the future and a lot of hope for what can be taken away from that. Yeah. And that's definitely a great transition. We don't need to look back. I will say overall, if you look at the playoffs as a whole, uh, you come away thinking like very highly of Marcus smart. I mean, for me, there were just some moments where he was just really banging in there. And I think what for him to be, it was ill-suited, right, for him to be the, like, third option here or be so heavily relied upon after Jalen and Tatum. And so these additions and free agents, it's just taking the pressure off of, like, him having the ball towards the end of the game or being in these clutch situations. And, like, when there's less of the oversaturation of those moments for him, the better he performs. Like, when he found Tatum that end of that first Nets game, right? And he found him with 10 seconds for the layup for the win. It was like the table were set. It was sort of, he was sort of 50-50 sort of in those moments. So if you can just take away by adding these other pieces, hopefully, and just finding, you know, learning from that and elevating to that, I think he still offers a lot. And the identity of him and the two J's was pretty cool and elevated for me. The, the, the story of the playoffs was like, those were our three and we almost won. So that's pretty remarkable considering that he was definitely not an ideal option holding the ball at any of those, any of those games. Yeah. Not to mention that he really had to fill, you know, that scorer role more than he sort of suited to because of, you know, sort of the 
per- other personnel that we had to rely on, mm-hmm. both you know through injuries and just um, roster composition. So, yeah, it'll be great to see how Marcus can hopefully continue to thrive and even be in a better role going forward. Right? Exactly. Yeah, the the evolution of him and his spark plug nature and what he's able to do, having him be more of an X factor and just playing a Marcus role as opposed to the role that they sort of shoved him into this year, right? Yeah, it's going to be very interesting too what they end up doing and how, you know, of course, injuries and other moves notwithstanding, how they sort of shape the roster as far as the rotation and the late game situations. Um, you know, they've they've maintained that they're going to continue to start the same starting five as last year uh, through this beginning of the off season. However, Steve, we know that they made a big trade. And yeah, let's talk that, about it. That guy they traded for, let's get right into it. They traded Daniel Tice. They they traded Das Tice, our buddy. Das Tice. Uh, we're sure he'll probably be back again at some point. He seems to just bounce back to the, <laughs> yeah. the Celtics every time. So they traded Daniel Tice and Aaron Neesmith. They traded a few other bench guys and next season's first round pick. Probably not going to be a great pick. Um, so they packaged that all together and sent it to the Indiana Pacers for Malcolm Brogdon. Ooh. Yeah. And I think the, the reaction has been uh, pretty positive, maybe overwhelmingly, you know, with the occasional detractors who point out his injury history. That's a tough one. Um, it's important, though, to note that some players are brittle or uh, seemingly injury-prone, and some players have bad luck. And Brogdon, I'm not sure. There are people who kind of look at that, and they decide, like, well, this injury is more of a bad luck than a um, recurring kind of um, injury-prone. In any event, we won't dwell on that because we want to talk about the upside and positives to this move. It's definitely like the trade deadline moves, interestingly enough, uh, involving Tice, <laughs> um, this was a move to free up space to kind of clear out uh, some some guys low in the rotation and get a top six, probably, rotation guy. Uh, when healthy, I think that he is better than Derek White. Um, you know, he's probably, honestly, if he's fully healthy at this age, he might even be better than Al Horford, obviously in a very different position. So assuming that they did continue to start the same lineup, we'd have coming off the bench, Malcolm Brogdon, D. White, Grant Williams. Um, and we still have Peyton Pritchard. Remains to be seen now with Marcus D. White and Brogdon, if they keep a fourth point guard, um, you know, Marcus D. White, even Brogdon can play two guard too because they're also big. And that, Steve, brings me to the most exciting thing for me about this move. 
So Malcolm Brogdon is 6'5", I believe. <laughs> he's a really good defender. And he's something that Derek White and Marcus Smart just never will be. And that is a fucking bucket. When he gets hot, he's a lighted up guy. Now, awesome. he is not a walking bucket. He's not Ray Allen, right? But when he gets hot, he gets hot. And he can score in a variety of ways. He shoots really well from three consistently throughout his career. He really just is the offensive weapon we've been missing to go with the defensive prowess of this team. So how they choose to utilize him is going to be amazing. And, Steve, getting a little ahead of ourselves, but think about this potential small ball, yet no one's under 6'4 and a half, Marcus. Closing lineup, are you ready? Yes. You play the two Js, right, and Rob with two of the three of the point guards. I mean, there's just so many options that... If you have Brogdon with the two J's, that's three ISO and dead shooting offensive threats with, you know, like Marcus and Rob or D. White and Rob. Right, and not losing a step on defense. Just no. still that elite defense if everyone's healthy. No. Pretty that's exciting. exciting. That is exciting. Pretty exciting. Yeah. All right. So please, everyone stay healthy. Stay healthy. <laughs> You know who does usually stay healthy, Steve, and who the Celtics actually signed in free agency is Italian sharpshooter Danilo Gallinari, or Gallo. And so in addition to Brogdon and what he could potentially bring, they bring in Gallo, player that I have uh, loved for many years. Who wanted to come to the Celtics was... All about it, it. All about it. Sees yeah. what's going on, wants to be a part of it. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. So that's going to be great as well because uh, as I heard some actual experts say recently, Gallo is a regular season minutes eater. Gallo is a professional shooter. He is a big, in this league now, four. He's a big body. He's a big guy. Right. Like when you see him bang against power forwards, you're like, damn. So he rebounds well. He's not very fast. He doesn't drive as much. But he still is just money from deep. He's big. He's a professional. He's not afraid of anyone. You know, he's just like battle-hardened vet. Maybe unplayable late in games and especially in the playoffs because really just not good at defense. Um, okay. yeah. and at this age, just, uh, not good, you know, like maybe in our system, you know, they hide him well enough, which I'm sure Ime will, will cook up something, but what he is, is in that second unit, just a fucking bucket once again. And we just really have longed for those guys, you know, the Eddie house, uh, of, of the 08 run the, you know, I think we may have even rep maybe even referenced Eddie House at one point. Like, even James Posey, he's, like, kind of that, like, you know, 3 and D guy, but Posey could score. And, you know, we sort of had that in Grant, but then Grant kind of disappeared later in the playoffs. Like, we just really need vets 
who aren't going to be, you know, afraid, aren't going to back down, aren't going to get caught up in silly mental games and get in foul, you know, just really are going to come through and show up. And I think Brogdon and Gallinari or Gallo, I think Brogdon and Gallo are those vets for sure. And really just questions around health, I think, especially with Brogdon. But I'm really excited for those guys and their fit with that core rotation. Yeah, it's nice flexibility be- yeah. because of how great, I mean, I think of thinking about Grant and how well he did against Giannis, right? So there's this, those situations you'll be in where you need Grant's defense out there and mm-hmm. then he can get you some threes if he gets hot. But So then having a guy to be able to come in, spell Tatum, to come in, again, Spark Club, yeah. Spark Club 10, 15 points off the bench just to kind of shift also, the momentum. Yeah, think about that Milwaukee series. When Giannis would come out, right, and they'd have Bobby Portis, yep. right, in the four spot usually. Gallo, get Gallo in. Yeah. Like, get Gallo in there because while Gallo is not, like, a great defender, he has the size and strength to bang with Portis. And he's not, like, Gallo doesn't care. And what he wants to do is bring Portis or whoever is trying to follow him around out to the three-point line, right? So he's a real spacer. And the great thing is that Grant was able to do that and is a better defender, but Grant is streaky, and Grant can't create his own offense. Grant doesn't drive. Grant is a catch-and-shoot corner three specialist, really. Like, that's what he does in the NBA. Gallo doesn't need to just stand in the three-point land and catch a perfect pass. Gallo can score in a variety of ways, and Gallo's never seen a shot he's afraid of either. He's one of those guys. He's not afraid. So he could spell Tatum. He could play with Grant. He could play the Grant role. And in certain lineups, actually, he can play the Horford role with Rob Williams. Wow. He's a big stretch four who shoots the three close to 40% lifetime. So there's a lot of possibilities. Now, the defense is a real concern, and I think he's one of those guys who falls, you know, in the regular season, he plays like maybe even 20 minutes a game. Really, mm-hmm. like he's in the rotation. In the playoffs, a certain series, he might fall out of the rotation. Right. And he did for Atlanta at times like that, you know, is he's a little bit older. He just isn't, hasn't ever been defensive minded and now a little less quick than he was. Never was great. super quick, yeah. but I love great these guy to have on the bench. And the thing that I love Steve is like, if you look at, you know, we love Daniel Tice and there's a time when Tice is great as a backup center, right? Against the right matchups, he's great. He's a good defender. He's really smart. And he's not the backup center on a championship-winning team because he fell to, like, third-string center on a team that went to the championship and didn't quite win. So he giving up him really is, like, kind of your ninth guy, maybe. Mm-hmm. So we give up sort of, like, 9 through 13 on our roster. And we get two guys who push our eighth guy, 
Pritchard actually back up to 10. Very and smart while giving you more flexibility. Yep. Exactly. And flexibility with trades and uh, cap and all that stuff. So totally. Very excited about running it back with this crew and these yeah. additions. And, you know, one thing we didn't mention, we were talking about the playoffs, was Al Horford, who mm. I thought was incredible, incredible. at times. And, yeah. and I think proved that even though he's getting older, has enough in the tank to like, you know, hopefully in this scenario that you just laid out, we save him a bit. He can show up. He can give yeah. us all he's got again next postseason run. That's what we're already thinking about because we're thinking positive here. But yep. I, uh, I am, I've always loved him. And if there was anything that was just so glorious about how close I came to win the finals and this entire finals run that we just witnessed was Al and, and, and kind of how at times he was like, I'm, I'm here and I'm going to step up. And again, everyone else is learning and everyone else is going to get to that point yeah. to another level in their game with these additions. You know, we had a first time head coach that we went to the finals with, like, Clearly, that experience is going to help him be a better coach and make better adjustments. Our best player was 24 <laughs> in the finals, you know, yeah. not even 25. Yeah. And so it's very, yeah, it's very exciting. And I really hope, I hope we can bring home a banner with Al still mm. in the rotation. Hopefully, we get him rest. I think if we get him enough rest and pad out that depth and rotation that uh, he's ready for another run. He didn't, he didn't look done even by the end of the finals, you know, Absolutely. He, times does look 35, 36, but certainly didn't look done. And Al, I think is really such a great vet heart and soul of this team because Al was like the stretch five, 15 years ago when he came in the league, you know, like he was undersized coming out of Florida, they said, for a center in the NBA and all this stuff. And he's just one of those guys that quietly is one of the best, probably three guys on the court most nights. He goes out there and gives it his all. And I think he's underappreciated to some degree, even though. He's recognized as, you know, a great veteran, but the stuff he does doesn't always show up in the box score. You know, he's one of those guys. And just that heart and soul and consistency, he's a person you can tell is such a solid, good human. He's like, there's no fake anything with Horford. There's no posturing. There's no anything with him other than just true grit. So I love how he just had a real renaissance and I really hope we can bring home a banner with him and for him, you know. If you think back to the beginning of the finals, like you just think back to sort of look at look at the playoffs as a whole. He was so solid. And I think you touched on something that I really love about this team and it's about how good natured they all are my son got really into watching all of this with me and Deuce Tatum being at all the games <laughs> and in all the Instagram videos and giving everyone high fives. 
except for Rob Williams. Deuce. <laughs> um, except for Grant Williams. I'm sorry. He gave high, Rob, Rob Williams a high five and he left Grant Williams hanging, which was hilarious. The Batman. <laughs> and there's with everybody, Jalen, like it's like it, the, these, the humanity here and, and this chemistry and this bond and just the overall integrity of this team is super high. And that's why I'm excited to see them back mostly together next year with these new additions. And I said this, how I kind of wanted this Brooklyn matchup in that first series. Like, yes, like give us Brooklyn. Let's beat yeah. them. Let's keep going. It's like, I want, and there's a lot that has to happen for this <laughs> to transpire. Sure. But like, I would, could you imagine the Celtics and the Warriors meeting again next year in the finals? Bonkers. Oh my God. Bonkers. I want that so bad. That would be so amazing. <laughs> now, of course, so much would have to happen. Yeah. And the Warriors have actually lost a couple pieces, including Gary Payton the second, which will hurt them. Of course, they'll be back with some other pieces. But yeah, that would be super fun. And who knows? I mean, they did have to beat the Nets, the Heat, and the Bucks. Yeah, or all Nets, without Bucks, Heat, which exactly. were the last three teams that had eliminated them from the playoffs. So if they go through the East again and get back and face the Warriors again, it'll just be such a, a faded meeting. Yeah. And really, we'll have to wait and see because we know that so much, including health and you know, almost luck of the draw. On <laughs> let's get back there again. Yep. And whoever it is, let's give them a run for their money. Yeah. And before we say goodbye to the 2022 season and officially go into the summer off season, we'd also just like to welcome a player we don't know anything at all about, uh, but we are excited. Our one rookie uh, officially that we know we'll have is our second round pick jd davison yeah second round gem i did his highlight reel is fun it's fun i mean it's always those those highlight reels <laughs> are you always think you've drafted the best guy ever right when they're just showing you like all his best plays but the intangibles his yep. physicality was an absolute like hey let's let's try to hit a home run here yeah. with with this pick i feel like what was kind of going on behind the scenes and well, then, his hair. I mean, well, can you imagine him and Marcus in the backcourt? Like, well, let me ask you this: staring you, if, at their hair the whole time. If you let me ask you this: if you were just drafting for hair, oh. he, he would clearly be the number one pick in this number draft, one right? Pick. Yeah. One so, pick. versatility so two, too. Like, <laughs> he's got like the locks all the way to the fro to like, and the color. I mean, yeah. we can keep going, and that might be a whole other podcast, depending <laughs> if he makes the roster yeah. next year. But <laughs> the all <laughs> he, hair team. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, just, you know, number two draft pick, second round draft pick in reality, number one pick overall for hair. For hair. So, so excited. And I love the young guys that you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And sometimes the second round, you know, Isaiah Thomas was drafted in the second round. Like, there's guys that are super yeah. good that come out of the second round, right? Sure. Yeah. So, this has been great, Steve, and I'm glad we got to, you know, let it out 
talk about the frustration, the near miss, talk about the excitement of the offseason and the experience for the two J's in the core. And I do have to say, Steve, this is a really exciting time. You know, some odds makers have the Celtics as favorites. They're definitely now back to this going into the season favored thing. So we'll see how they handle that. Very interesting. I'm excited. Such a wild, exciting ride, the two Jays. Steve, before we go, you know, the two Jays have had a lot of ups and downs. There's been a lot of talk. And we are not experts, so I have no idea of this statistic. But I'm going to just put it out there. Have two Young players ever experienced so much success from the jump? We're talking they've at least been to the conference finals four out of Tatum's five years, and the finals won. I mean, that is insane for the beginning of careers. So I don't know. We don't know. But that has to be close to up there. There's only been one season they haven't been in the conference finals. I mean, that is just insane. So we're excited and hopeful that they make it back and hopefully all the way to the finals. So any last thoughts or words, Steve? No, just looking forward to seeing how they build on this and if they can take it to the next level, if there's going to be maybe a little finals hangover, mm. you know, the way they started the, the this year. Mm. I don't necessarily anticipate a, a start like that, but no. I think... I feel like this experience was invaluable. So it's just, to me, going to be a really fascinating season next year. And if everyone stays healthy, um, a hopeful season as well for another run. Indeed. Well, thanks so much to CelticStrong.com, the number one chat forum on the web for everything Celtics. Get on there. I know there's still a lot of chatter with free agency and everything going on. And thanks to all our listeners out there around the country and around the world. We will check in some point during the summer when there's more news. Thanks so much for listening. And thank you out there for being Boston Celtic Celtic Strong. Strong.